0: In my life, I've come to a few crisis points. I don't suppose you live very long without having, usually the average, I would think, person would come to some sort of a life or almost life or death crisis point in their life. You may only have one of them, maybe two of them. Uh, You women that go have babies, I think every time you have a baby, it's a crisis point myself. It's a serious thing. I've had a few things come into my life where it just kind of put me against the wall and I had nowhere to go, no wiggle room. And I cried out to God, if you're ever going to help me, I've got to have it now. Please remember me. Please remember me. And I kind of got thinking about this. I've never prepared a sermon on this subject before, so I did a little research through the Bible, and I was actually amazed at that phrase, remember me. How many times it was used in the Bible by people who had their back against the wall. You know what I mean by back against the wall. What do you do when you're all the way down? When there are no more options, no more alternatives, no more escapes, the end has come, the hope is gone, here it comes, what do you do, where do you go, with whom do you call for? The Christian life is not an academic life. Now, there's academics involved in being a Christian. You should know the commandments and keep them. But if you love me, keep my commandments. If you're a friend of mine, Jesus said, you'll do us whatever I command you. And so you need to academically learn what God expects of you, absolutely, as part of our growth period, is growing in knowledge and understanding of the word of God, growing grace. But it's a bit much bigger than an academic journey. It's a personal, one-to-one walk with God. I hope you have personal. I mean, so personal that your wife doesn't fit in that circle. Your husband doesn't fit in that circle. My walk with Christ is so personal that my wife's not part of that. And and hopefully I'm probably not, in fact, I would say I'm not part of hers. That's why one of the favorite songs at most funerals that we do is In the Garden. In the Garden is a very personal song. My mom and dad used to sing it on a regular basis when we were traveling as kids. Entertainment for kids in the 50s when you're going on a trip Is there's no DVD to give them, no little movie you can watch, nothing. He brought, they brought the hymn book from the church, and they didn't. My dad played uh, harmonica, so he would give us kind of the note to start on, and then we would sing the songs of Zion on the way down to wherever. I'm not back then though. No, no super slab. You remember coming down? You folks from up north remember coming to Florida on US 41? Yes, US 41. It would go through the mountains of Tennessee, and it, you would go up a mountain, down a mountain, up a mountain, down a mountain. It was just absolutely life-threatening, harrowing. There were no guardrails on a lot of that. We got up into the we got up into those Smoky Mountains under a heavy fog, and you could only see one line along the edge, of my dad and that old 59 Chevy would just follow that one line, you know, as it would go. Of course, up there you got those hairpins. If I knew. Then, what I know now, I'd have jumped out of the car. (laughs) Man, oh, man. They would get on black ice coming out of Indiana because it would be in December. We'd only come to Florida in a couple weeks over Christmas break. And so there would be sometimes black ice in Indianapolis, south of Indianapolis, Louisville going across the bridge. There in Louisville, one time we slid sideways towards the railing. I thought it was over had some harrowing experiences on the way down here, but we would as we had three boys and not we were well disciplined, but we were mischievous and we would fight each other and pretty soon he'd stop the car, take all three of us out, whip all three of us, spank all three of us and uh, you know whether it was with his belt or whatever he had on him. And they'd say, you "Get back in the car." You know, there'd be a lot of sniffling going on. You know, crying. Okay, we well, gonna be good. We're going. It wasn't three hours later. We were getting it again. <laughs> Traveling was. I never thought about how hard it was on my mom and dad, but I, I kind of do understand now what it was like in a car being with these three boys. Well, with five boys, but I bet you had to do some whipping. What going on? Let I me mean, tell you what. Yeah. But your walk with Christ is personal. The unsaved often call, when they get in a personal spot like that, they call for their mother. That's a strange thing, isn't it? But they have a personal relationship with their mother. A boy, a man, oftentimes on football, you don't see them big husky football players wanting to wave to them. They don't say, hi, dad. I always got indignant about that. They always say, hi, mom. Hi, mom. Well, they had a personal walk relationship with their mother that they didn't have with their dad. Now girls seem to have that kind of walk with their dad but not with their mother and maybe that's just a way of, way of things. My dad told this story about being on Saipan. It took him 30 days to liberate the island from the Japanese and they would at night sleep in foxholes. They'd dig a foxhole at night and towards the evening dig a foxhole and it would be half full of water and they would get in that foxhole, so half of them was underwater, was in the salt water. And he said some of the boys, their socks rotted off their feet. And they just couldn't get out. At night, the Japanese would put a knife between their teeth, and they would crawl in the dark of the night and try to get into those foxholes and knife. And he said every morning they woke up, so there were some soldiers that had been killed during the night was awful he wondered every day whether his his day would be the last every day he was attempting to to uh go forward and he he saw these uh in camouflaged area there was these three japanese soldiers and my dad had a carried a bar browning automatic rifle it it was a full automatic and eight shot bursts and he said he shot eight bursts into those men shot another eight bursts into them one of them had a grenade, he let go of it, and it blew up right in front of my dad. His sergeant was on his right, another soldier was on his left. He said the shrapnel hit both of them. It hit the uh, sergeant, and he said he respected that sergeant. That sergeant was, you know, battle tough guy. And the sergeant laying on the ground, bleeding out, cried for his mother. Cried for his mother. Who do you cry for when you get in that kind of spot? Who are you going to cry out for? Well, I believe the Bible has something to say about it. And I believe when you come to the place, if you come to the place where you face death eyeball to eyeball, and you realize there's no other alternative, there's no place around it, that's what it's coming. You know to you know who to call on, who to call for. I found six people, really seven people, in the Bible that use this phrase: "Remember me, remember me." They got their back against the wall. They went to God and said, "God, remember me." Here's what, here. There goes first one is Samson, Judges chapter sixteen, verse twenty-eight. And Samson called on the Lord and said, "O oh Lord God." Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. The setting of this is that they mocked him ruthlessly, put him between two major pillars of the home. The home had about 3,000 people there. And he felt the pillars with his hand he was blinded they had put his eyes out <clears throat> and he was come to the end of himself and after he said lord god just strengthen we got to take the holy spirit away from him where he wouldn't strengthen him anymore after he allowed his hair to be cut and he's feeling these pillars his hair had regrown and he cried out to god remember me just this once, and the Bible said he bowed he bowed himself under there and pushed those pillars out, <clears throat> killed more Philistines in his death than he did his whole life. He died with them. Samson had everything before that. He had great strength, great power, great anointing, great privilege, but he lost everything to his lusts. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have your eyes put out. I know one thing. What's bad about surgery on your eyes is you see it coming. I always wondered about that, unless they put you out. I don't know if they put you out or not when they do surgery on your eyes. But how do you keep your eye from moving? How do you keep your, I know one thing, you better put me out or I'm going to be looking all over the place. But imagine putting your eye like having a hot poker coming towards your eye and just, you could hear it. The pain would be beyond description. He remembered that. The pain, the anguish, and knowing there was no going back, no healing. When desperation came to him, he cried out to God. And finally, when he came to the end of himself, that helped him to remember him just once. Second example I found in the Bible was Hannah, 1 Samuel 1 and following. Hannah wanted children. The Bible said, God shut up Hannah's womb. She had a rival that had children of Elkanah and uh, the rival mocked her and made fun of her and being uh, barren, if you notice in the Bible, being barren is one of the worst things that can happen to married women. It's one of the worst things that can happen to them. Our generation, they want to be barren. They seek to be barren. That's why we do the abortion science, anti-abortion and so, but not, not, not in world history. Most of these women were just, they didn't want to live if they couldn't have a children. Give me children, she said, lest I die. And they, You know, of course, her husband didn't have the power to do that. She said, that's between you and God. Desperation filled her heart. She came to the end of herself. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 said, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and, and you can underline the words, Remember me, remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head to be a Nazarite. That's big. God did it, as you know. I think of the third example, Nehemiah, the children of Israel, the northern tribes had been taken, and they were gone by Assyria. The two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, finally had sinned another 136 years after the northern tribes were taken. God allowed them to stay in the land. They duplicated the same sins that the northern tribes did and were taken. They didn't learn from the example of the northern tribes. Finally, God sent in Babylon and brought them in three different times, and Jerusalem destroyed, finally just destroyed the city, <clears throat> destroyed the temple took most of the people that lived in the city back to Babylon to be their slaves. Ezra finally, after 70 years of being in slavery, God allowed through Jeremiah, told him to be 70 years and I'll restore you back to Jerusalem. Ezra being the first group that went back to rebuild the temple. Wow, God did it through a guy named Cyrus. God did it. Supernatural. Brother, God can do anything. When you, read the, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you just come away from that book saying, God can just do anything. We're not so low that God couldn't intervene for us. And he, he, uh, he sent Ezra back to rebuild the temple, and he did. About 14 years after Ezra had been back in the land, he sent Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 14, 22, and 31 in three places. He cried out to the Lord. He mourned and wept before God for the people and their horrible predicament. The the walls of the city were broken down. The gates were burnt. Nehemiah was given permission on a mission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and restore civil government by the very king that they served. God can do anything. Some 14 years later, and as you know, He went back, and the people had a mind to work, and they rebuilt the walls. Uh, You people that have been to Jerusalem, you've seen part of that wall, haven't you? They showed you part of Nehemiah's wall. Boy, that was a powerful moment for me when I went back there, and I looked at that wall. I looked at those stones, and I thought the people that God sent back from captivity, a little handful of folks, rebuilt these walls after everybody thought they were dead and gone. God did it. It was seeing an impossible task, a massive undertaking. Enemies within, enemies without. When they built the wall, they had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand because the local people wanted to stop them from doing it. But they just believed God and just kept on working. In the end of his book, Nehemiah cries out three times for God to help him. Nehemiah 13, 14 says, Remember me, oh my God, concerning this and wipe." Wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. He says it, remember me again in verse 22 of the same chapter. He says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. In verse 31, he says, And for the wood offering and the times appointed for the first fruits, for the things that he had helped to, to, to get the thing going, he says, Remember me, O my God, for good. Three times. The fourth person I see that his back gets against the wall, he says, "Remember me is Job." Most of you know the story of Job. I don't need to go into the story of Job. But I don't know anybody, and I've never known anybody with boils from head to toe. Tom, have you ever heard of anybody with boils from head to toe? I've heard people with a few boils. Have you ever had a boil, Tom? Huh? Good, you need one. It's good. It's a good lesson when you get a boil. Boil. You boil. How many here had boils? Raise your hand. I mean, the rest of you don't know what you're missing. Boils are beyond belief. By the way, it's not a long way from shingles. I just got over shingles, and I'm going to tell you, shingles will give you some respect. And then another disease that I've had is gout. Gout and shingles and boils are, I'm going to categorize them in about the same category of pain. Job had him from head to toe. How could you move? How you couldn't. How could you move around? There's no good side the land. One time I went out deep sea fishing when I was a oh I was a, I was probably a teenager still. Went out deep sea fishing out here, and and of course you know had a t-shirt, pair of shorts. and I yeah, took my shirt off all day all day long. I'm I'm blue eyed light hair. I may not look at it now, but I'm blue eyed. I used to be light haired. And I mean to tell you, I got sunburned. I looked like a lobster that just been boiled. I mean, my back was sunburned. My front was sunburned. There was no sleeping on my front, on my side, on my back. I was, should have went to the hospital. Back then, you didn't go to the hospital unless you were dying. But I thought about that when I said Job had these boils from head to toe. How could he even talk? What did Job say? Job 14, 13, Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave. That's what he said. That thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed. That thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. Isn't that interesting? Remember me. God, remember me. We see Jeremiah. Over 20 times in the book of Jeremiah, he was threatened with death and imprisonment. Went through all kinds of astonishing persecution. He was hated. He was considered a traitor by his peers. But he was a prophet of God nonetheless. In his desperation, in chapter 15, verse 15, he cried, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Remember me, Lord. Another one I see is the thief on the cross. Maybe this is the most famous of them all. This is the one that kind of got me searching because I remembered the thief on the cross. The Bible says that the thief on the cross, both of them, reviled Christ and taunted him during the crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, verse 32 says, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Yet as they came near to death, in Luke chapter 23, verse 40 to 43, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of their deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said, unto Jesus... Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't get theological. He got personal. If Christianity is just a form of religion, an adopted set of duties, then you've missed the essence of it. Christianity is a relationship. With God Almighty through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. God gave you the Holy Spirit so you could communicate personally with Him, one to one. You can come before the throne of grace boldly because you have a one to one relationship with Him and your sins are under the blood of Christ. I love what Jesus said. Verily, I say unto thee, it's amazing Jesus could even talk, by the way. Only because he was God manifest in the flesh. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I believe this is as serious as the thief could get. There was no frills, no politicizing his speech. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. There was no time for political posturing. There was no time for choosing his words. Lord, Please, remember me when i come ascend to that kingdom. When the end comes and your personal relationship to God, God is what you're going to count on. When you're in an emergency room and all the uh, the doctor that comes, emergency doctor comes in and the nurses come in and they look, I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think you're going to make it. You're going to remember. Hopefully you'll remember to cry out like these folks. I thought it was good enough for these folks. It's good enough for me. I got one more, the number seven, so it's a perfect number. How about Hezekiah? Isaiah 38, two through three. Isaiah the prophet, high, high credentials, high credibility, comes in and says, God told me, that you're not going to get up off this bed of sickness. He had some sort of boil on him. You're not getting up off this bed of sickness, you are going to die. High credibility. So Isaiah leaves. Old Hezekiah, who had a relationship with God, turned over towards the wall and began to weep. He turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord. I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. I hope you know Christ as your personal savior. And we fundamentalists like to use that phrase, personal Savior. We could say, I hope you know Christ as your Savior. That would be fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we like to add in, we fundamental, independent, Bible believing, hellfire, damnation, window rattling, shingle pulling Baptists like to put in there, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And what are we doing? We're emphasizing the walk with Christ. It's not a run, it's a walk every morning. I get up a lot at night uh, since I've gotten old. Some of you people don't think I'm old, but I think I'm old. I'll tell you what, if I get any more maladies, I don't know if I can take any more. But I get, I get this, this is another one of my maladies is that I have to get up about five times a night. Five times a night. Use the restroom. Use the bathroom. What are you going to do? I don't know about you, but that, when you want to sleep, that's really tough. I'm gonna, I should ask for a show of hands. But you people don't, you're the HIPAA. You don't want to, relieve, you don't want to reveal your, your physical conditions here to, to everybody else. But I bet a lot of you old boys are in the same boat I'm in. You get up. And you know, the women have babies and do stuff that we don't have to do, so they don't get this kind of stuff. They don't know what I'm talking about. Women will sleep through the whole night and not have to get up one time. But it's, this is kind of a man problem. So we get up you know, I've kind of started using that for God waking me up so I can talk to him. Rather than getting mad about it and getting frustrated about it, because I've already been through all that, and asking God to heal me. I quit asking God to heal me. I said, okay, God, I'm going to use this. I get up at night, and whoever's on my mind, whoever you want to put on my mind, I'm up for about four, three, four minutes, maybe five minutes even, and I'm going to pray for him. Sometimes I pray for Bud Calvert. Sometimes he's on my mind. Marion, Bud Calvert. Sometimes Tom Glessery's on my mind. Sometimes Brother Harris, believe it or not, on my mind. Sometimes Walling's on my mind. Sometimes you people are on my mind. Darwin, other people. God puts on my mind. And I say, Lord, help them, help them to help them to love you and know you and whom to know is life everlasting. Maybe uh, I would pray for my. Of course, you pray for your your grandkids. And I don't know if you knew this, but I'm a great grandfather. I figure somehow I'd get great somehow. Maybe that's one way to do it. But a great, great grandfather. And so maybe pray for them. Pray for the children. Pray for Chad and uh, Rachel's child. Pray for Crystal's child. Pray for uh, Kayla's child. Oh, brother, I'm going to forget one. Somebody else is pregnant. I can't think who it is. Huh? Somebody in my office? Tell me no. Tell me it ain't so. But uh, I don't know. Don't try to tell me. It's okay. I'm going to get it here. Stacia, that's it. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe it's Huber girl. You never know. Potential. There's potential in this room. Pray for the people of the gospel. Pray for, pray for God. Pray for your neighbors when you get up. It's a personal walk, it's one to one. He walks with me and he, and he talks with me and tells me I'm his own. The joy we share as we tarry there, none other have ever known. They really have known, but I don't know that they've known. The writer of that song is so personal. That you think maybe you're absolutely unique with God. Well, it makes sense that you are unique. That you are absolutely unique. There's no two of you. As snowflakes are not the same, there's no two human beings exactly. We may look alike, we may sound alike, we may walk alike, but the personality is never the same. They're not the same. Even identical twins are different. Identical twins are different. You've been made a unique by God. He's planned you. He's thought about you, and he wants you to walk with him. Come walk with me. And When you get in trouble, the first place you go, hopefully like these seven people did, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Father in heaven, thank you tonight. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Benita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.